0: Chapter One of Between the Larchwoods and the Weir. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nemo. Between the Larchwoods and the Weir by Flora Clickman. Chapter One. Preamble dedicated to the memory of arthur Bertie, and wilfred my brothers move along these shades in gentleness of heart for there is a spirit in the woods preamble on one of the high hills that border the river Wye, there stands an old cottage perched on an outstanding bluff with apparently no way of approach save by airship Looking up at it from the river bank by the weir, the selfsame weir besides which Wordsworth sat when he wrote his famous lines, you can only glimpse the chimneys and angles of the roof, so buried is the house in the trees that clothe the hill-slopes to a height of nearly nine hundred feet. The cottage is not quite at the top of the hill. Behind it rise still more woods, making the steeps in early spring a mist of purple and brown and soft gray bursting buds followed by pale shimmering green with frequent splashes of white when the hundreds of wild cherries break into bloom a darker green sweeps over all with the oncoming of summer which in turn becomes crimson lemon rust gold bronze green copper and orange in the autumn where coppices of birch and oak ash and beech Wild cherry, crabapple, yew, and hazel intermingle with the stately ranks of the larchwoods that revel in the heights, and give the hills a jagged edge against the sky. The casual tourist who merely does the Y Valley, which invariably means scorching along the one good road the district possesses, skirting the foot of the hills, has a clever knack of entirely missing as a rule the larchwoods and the weir. Obviously, when any self-respecting motorist finds himself on a fine road where he can trundle along at thirty miles an hour, at the least, with seldom any official let or hindrance, he naturally shows his friends what his car can do, and in such circumstances it is necessary to keep the eyes glued to the half-mile straight ahead. Even though the natives are too virtuous to need the upkeep of many policemen, stray cattle and slow-dragging timber wains can be quite as upsetting as a constable, while a landslide down the hills may precipitate huge trees across the road any day of the year and prove an equal hindrance. Hence, the motorist seldom seems to have eyes to spare for anything but the road he takes his red the woods that climb the great green walls towering far and yet farther above him and as for many weirs he passes who could even hear them above the hustle of a becomingly powerful car that is hoping to boast how it covered the twenty-nine miles from chepstow to ross in exactly thirty minutes small wonder that such as these never see that weather-worn cottage half hidden among the green but for those who are too poor or too rich to need to bother about advertising their car, those who can indulge in the luxury of walking with no fear of losing social prestige, there is about that cottage, a world of eternal youth that never grows old, a world that is forever offering new discoveries. And from the weir in the valley to the larchwoods at the summit Curiously insistent voices are calling. You have but to walk along the river bank to hear them in the tumbling, swirling waters as they pour over and sweep around the boulders in the river bed. And although the only living thing you may actually see is the blue glint of a dardan kingfisher, or a heron standing sentinel on some mossed and water splashed rock, or a burnished swallow skimming over the surface of the water, you know for a certainty that there is more, much more, in the murmur of the river and the clamor of the weir than the ear can ever classify. Loud as it is when the tide is going down, it is not noisy, for noise never soothes, whereas this babbling of the waters is one of the most restful sounds the tired mind can know. When you leave the river and take the path that climbs up through the woods the path you have to search for so overgrown is it with knot bushes and bracken and low-hanging branches of the birches another sense of mystery waits you though the way may get easier and the trail a little more defined the higher you climb you feel you are penetrating a new land that you are the first ever to come this way and in that inexplicable lure of the unknown seizes you, though you can see nothing ahead of you but a steep rough footpath arched over by the branches of the trees that hedge you about on either side. You are conscious of something beyond the croon of the ring-doves and the scuttle of the rabbit. It comes to you in the odour of last year's dead leaves under the oaks, and the pungent warm scent of the larches in the sun. It greets you. In the army of foxgloves that have monopolized the one bit of open sky space where a few trees were uprooted in a storm, and in the tall clump of dark blue campanula that has sprung up in another spot where a sun shaft falls, and in the regiments of wild daffodils in a clearing that so far have escaped the trowel of the spoiler. You sense it on an early Easter day when you pause halfway up and look back on a vast tracery of bare branches and twigs pale grey where the light strikes on them and bursting into smiles at intervals where the blackthorn has come out it speaks to you when you come upon the smooth grey bark of the beeches the beautifully ribbed rind of the spanish chestnut and the scaly red trunks of the pines You feel it at your feet when you see the brown, uncurling fern fronds, and it pulls at your heart when you step across a brook that is quietly talking to itself, like a happy baby, as it wanders downhill, unconcerned and most haphazard, amid watercress and ragged robin and creeping jenny. When at last you emerge for a moment, breathless, from the woods, and come upon the cottage, standing in the midst of its gay flower-patch, you think you have solved the mystery and the sweet smell of the newly turned earth, or that it hovers over the crimson flame of the herb-robert, glowing all about the tops of the grey stone walls. Yet it is not merely the birds and the flowers, the wood scents and the trees, that hold one as with a spell. Such things can be catalogued, Whereas there is something intangible among the wild woods, something indefinable beyond all material things, that makes in some incomprehensible way for peace of mind and the mending of the soul. And it is one of our greatest blessings that we cannot tabulate it or order it by the dozen from the stores, that it cannot be cornered or monopolized by the money-grubber. The healing of the hills cannot be purchased with gold. It is free to all. Yet it can only be had by individual, quiet seeking. The glory still burns in the bush. The light of God's kindling can never be extinguished. But sometimes we are too preoccupied to turn aside to see the great sight. And sometimes we fail to put our shoes from off our feet forgetting that the place whereon we stand is holy ground. End of chapter 1 Preamble